Ephesians chapter 6 is where we're at. Ephesians chapter 6, we'll begin reading in verse 10, read through the passage. We've been covering for the last uh, eight weeks now, we've been covering the armor of God that God has provided for his people. This is serious stuff, man. We face battles all the time. We're in a battle. And God warns us about that. He says, be sober, be vigilant, for your adversary the devil is a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. And he wasn't kidding about that. This is real stuff. We have an enemy. The thief cometh not before to steal and to kill and to destroy. But I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. This is real. Now, it's funny, we get to a time where it doesn't seem like we're fighting much in the way of battles, and we begin to doubt that it's really all that important. But then I'll tell you what, when you get into a battle, and it seems to be coming hot and heavy, it's just, uh, uh, it seems like everywhere you look, it's one thing after another, you begin to realize, man, I need the armor of God. Well, if you'd realize that ahead of time, then perhaps we wouldn't be wounded near as often as what we are. Notice in verse 10, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. And take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Now, Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. Give us what we need from the scripture tonight. Lord, may we learn our weapon. May we learn how to use it. May we learn how to be victorious in the battle. I pray, dear God, that the spirit of God would teach us tonight. And Lord, we'll thank you for all that you do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So he says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord. I've been saved now for over 50 years, been preaching for well over 40 years, and I've seen a lot of Christians fall in the battle. And there's no need to fall. There's no need to fall. God gives us everything we need. Do you realize this book that was given, for instance, the book of Ephesians, given through the Apostle Paul by the Holy Spirit of God back in that first century, is just as up to date, just as effective as what it has ever been for the child of God. God did not miss anything. For any Christian in any generation, he has everything that you need to fight the battle successfully. Now, when he tells us, finally, brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. It's amazing how much emphasis we put today on on having strong bodies just to go through life. But I tell you, there's a far more important battle being waged than just the physical battles that are out there. And that's the spiritual battles that are there. He tells us about what those battles consist of. He tells us about the wiles of the devil that are there to deceive us. About the battle that is there to defeat us and about the evil day to defile us. 
I mean, we're talking about a three-pronged attack here. Three prongs of things that are going on. Uh, the devil's slick. He is a deceiver. He's called a deceiver as well as the accuser of the brethren. Uh, we need to be very, very careful. Not only that, but the battle. It's real. And it's going on. The devil doesn't back off when he's got you knocked down. He doesn't wait for an eight count and see if you get up again. He just keeps pummeling, pummeling at you. He doesn't stop. You need the armor of God. And he gives us some commands. He says that we're to be strong in the Lord. He says we're to put on the whole armor of God. As a matter of fact, he tells us that twice in verse 11 and in verse 13, that we are to put on the whole armor of God. This isn't something where you go into the store and say, I'll take one of those and one of those, and I don't think I need the others. You need the whole armor of God. If you're going to be, as a believer, victorious like God wants you to be, you need the whole armor of God. And we went through those things. You look at verse 14. He says, stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth. Well, what is truth? Well, that's the word of God. Jesus said, thy word is truth. Psalmist said, thy word is true from the beginning. And every one of thy righteous judgments endureth forever. If you don't get settled on, on truth, that truth trumps your ideas about anything. If you don't get settled on that, you are going to be messed up your entire Christian walk. Psalmist said, therefore, I esteem all thy precepts concerning all things to be right, and I hate every false way. How do you know if a way is false? You go to the truth, find out what the truth says. The truth gives you the truth, and that which is contrary to that is a lie. You forsake it, you rebuke it, you have nothing to do with it. Then he goes on and says, and having on the breastplate of righteousness. And that breastplate of righteousness is not the righteousness of Christ. The righteousness of Christ was put on you the moment you got saved. You have his righteousness. When God looks at you, if you've been born again, when God looks at you, he sees the righteousness of his son. It is on that basis that you get to heaven. It is on that basis that you're able to come into the holiest by the blood of Christ through his righteousness. But he says, put on the breastplate of righteousness, that outer garment that identifies you for what you are. You see, he is our righteous Lord and we are to have a righteous walk. Our testimony is always to be right. And then he goes on and he says, after the righteousness of Christ, he says, having your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Well, how are you going to know what the gospel is? I mean, a lot of people got different ideas about the gospel. There are some who think that the gospel is going out and feeding the hungry. Well, that's a social gospel that doesn't save anybody. may feed somebody for a day, but it doesn't save anybody. Uh, how about the people who say, well, they believe that the gospel is you got to hear, believe, receive, repent, and be baptized and hold on to the end or to be saved. And that's not the gospel. Gospel is Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried, that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 4. He makes it very plain that that is the gospel of Christ that saves. So if your feet's going to be shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, it has to be the gospel according to the word of God. And then he says, above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. The shield of faith. Well, how do you build that faith? Faith cometh by hearing, 
and hearing by the word of God, Romans 10, 17. You need to hear the word of God. These people who think they can be a strong Christian and not be faithful to the house of God and hearing the word of God, they're fooling themselves. They're never going to build their faith if they're not into and hearing the word of God. And then he talked about, then last week we covered the helmet of salvation. So the helmet of salvation is not salvation. In other words, you don't put all this stuff on and then you get saved. The helmet of salvation, obviously dealing with the head, is knowing that you're saved. Can you know that you're saved? Well, God says you can. 1 John 5, 13, these things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know, K-N-O-W, that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. Now we get to this piece of armor. And he says, and the sword of the Spirit. And then he identifies that for us. He says, which is the Word of God. So we find that every piece of armor has a relationship with the Word of God. Now, as we cover the sword of the Spirit, and he identifies it as the Word of God, it reminds us of when Jesus was talking to the Sadducees who came to him to try to trip him up. See, the Sadducees didn't believe in spirits. They didn't believe in miracles. And the Sadducees did not believe the word of God. They didn't believe in a resurrection. And so they came to Jesus with that really dumb story about a lady who married a man and the man died. And so she married his brother and the brother died. So she married his other brother and he died. Then she married another brother and he died. Then another brother and he died till they got to the seventh one. And you wonder what was wrong with that guy to marry her. I mean, obviously... She was hard on husbands, isn't that right? She married him and he died. They asked that silly question, whose wife shall she be in the resurrection? And Jesus said, you do err not knowing the scripture nor the power of God. Their problem was they didn't know the sword of the spirit, did they? And that's key. We need to understand it. There are a lot of people who err not knowing the scripture in a number of things. I read a little story about a boy that asked his father that what the food, he asked what the moon was made of. And the father said, well, it's made of green cheese. And the boy said, come on, dad, how do you know? He says, because it's in the Bible. Take the Bible and read it. So the boy went up into his room, started reading in the book of Genesis. And after a little while, they came down. He said, dad, the moon is not made of green cheese. He said, well, son, how do you know that? he said, well, the Bible says God made the moon on the fourth day and he didn't make cows until the sixth day. They didn't have any cheese yet. (laughs) And the boy was right, of course. People believe a lot of weird things that did not come from the Bible. Like this one. You know what the Bible says? God helps those who help themselves. Doesn't say that anywhere in the Bible. It's not there. People say the Bible says all kinds of things that it just does not say. How about this one? Cleanliness is next to godliness. Wow, we've all read that in our Bible, haven't we? Somebody wrote it in the flyleaf of their Bible for sure, but no, it's not in the Bible. How about this one? Hate sin and love the sinner. A lot of people quote that like it came from the Bible, but you know that that's a quote from Mahatma Gandhi? That's not found in the Bible. 
Yes, we ought to hate sin, and yes, we ought to love the sinner, but you don't find a Bible verse that says that. Not only that, how about this one? Money is the root of all evil. No, it's not. Scripture says that the love of money is the root of all evil. And there is a big difference between the two. So our, every tub sells sit on its own bottom. You know, that kind of thing. Just a lot of strange stuff that people believe comes from the Bible when it doesn't. So I want you to notice some things about this sword. This sword that is the Word of God, that is both an offensive weapon and it is a defensive weapon. It is definitely needed in the battle that we're fighting. First of all, the context of the sword. After all, the Bible, the Scripture, the Word of God is called many things. In the Scripture, the Word of God is called a lamp. It is called a light. It is called a fire. It is called a rock. It is called a hammer. It's called water, Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 26. It is called a mirror. And here it is called a sword in the midst of the armor of God. It is used to defend ourselves and is also used to attack the enemy. Hebrews, you might write out beside that, Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing of sunder of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow. This sword goes deep, and it cuts deep. The sword of the spirit is the word of God. Revelation 1.16, Scripture says, And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. In Revelation 2.12, it says unto the angel of the church at Pergamos, right? These things saith he which hath the sharp sword with two edges. In chapter 2 and verse 16, it says, Repent, or else I will come unto thee quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. As a matter of fact, go over to the book of Revelation chapter 19. Revelation chapter 19. And in these verses dealing with the second coming of Jesus Christ all the way to the earth to set up his kingdom. Notice the description beginning in verse 11 of Revelation chapter 19. And I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse and he that sat upon him was called faithful and true and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. Now look at this. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he had on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Of course, that is the Lord Jesus Christ. This, this sword is a sharp sword. It cuts so that you cannot discern it. It cuts that deep. This is something, listen, before there ever was a laser that anybody had thought about, this does what a laser does. It goes deep. It cuts below the skin surface. As you've heard me give before, the difference between a physical sword and the spiritual sword, the Word of God. And the physical sword, you take a dead sword, you stab a living person, you make them dead. But with the spiritual sword, you stab a dead person and you make them alive. 
being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. First Peter chapter one and verse 23. It's very plain. It's the sword of the spirit. And as a matter of fact, when it comes to the inspiration of scripture, he lets us know that it is connected with the Holy Ghost of God. When he says in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21, Now no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. But holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Do you realize when Matthew sat down and began to write in the book of Matthew, the book of the generations, the son of David, the son of Abraham, and Abraham begat Isaac, and Isaac begat Jacob. He wasn't making it up. He wasn't copying it from somebody. The Holy Ghost of God was having him write, not only telling him what to write, but seeing to it that he wrote exactly what God already had down in heaven. This is God's book. All of it is God's book. From the first word of Genesis to the last word of Revelation, you can count on it. And pardon me, but I take offense when people try to mess with it. They try to tell you, no, to go to something else. You know, Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. I want an every word Bible. I don't want a Bible that just has some of the words. I want a Bible that has all the words. And thank God this King James has all the words of God. No errors in it. As a matter of fact, it used to be you go back into where people thought they were being smart when they would try to come up with some kind of error in the scripture. One of those, uh, one of those times had to do with 2 Chronicles chapter 4 and verses 2 through 5. Now you mathematicians, some of you engineers will really like that. The others will have to think about it because it deals with pie and I'm not talking about pumpkin. In 2 Chronicles 4, 2 through 5, in verse 2, it says, He made a molten sea of ten cubits from brim to brim, round in a compass. That means it was a circle. And then it says, a line of 30 cubits did compass it round about. Now, for you math teachers, you already know this. But to calculate the circumference of a circle, you do not multiply the diameter by three, you multiply it by pi. And that would be 3.1416. Well, if you're talking about here, um, if you're talking about the 30 cubits to encompass it round about, how in the world would it get to that? Because if you took 10, multiply it by pi, you've got 31.416 cubits. Uh, around. So critics said that they found that Solomon had made a mistake in his mathematics. But their problem was they didn't read the scripture very carefully. However, 30 cubits measured the circumference of the sea, which would be around the inside of the container, while the 10 cubits measured from brim to brim or the outside of the container. There's a difference between those two things. Dividing the circumference by pi tells us that it was 9.55 cubits from inside edge to inside edge. That leaves 45 uh, cubits or 8 inches. That's not 45 cubits, 0.45 cubits uh, or 8 inches to account for. Well, verse 5 says that the thickness of the container was a handbreadth 
which would be about four inches. So if you add four inches to each side of the inside diameter, you see that from brim to brim, you have exactly 10 cubits. Just like God said in the word of God. There are no errors in this book. This book is true from beginning to end. All of it is true. So you've got God's word. You've got the context of the word of God. You've got the condition of the sword. You've got the caliber of the sword as well. Uh, You realize there are a lot of different swords out there. I know we've got a lot of gun enthusiasts, Second Amendment people here in the church. And, and, uh, you know, if you start talking about what you've got at home, there'd be some with 22s, 45s, 44s and a whole bunch of other stuff that you would have at your home as far as different caliber guns. And you'll find that if they have to shoot, for the most part, usually they have to shoot the caliber of bullet that goes along with the gun. Not always true, but normally it's true. Well, when it comes to the Word of God, it's that way true, too, as well. For instance, in the New Testament, there are two different Greek words that are translated word. One of those Greek words is logos. It is used in John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Each time I said Word there, it's all the word logos. And it says, and the Word, in verse 14, was made flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus is the logos of God. It has the idea of God. But there's another word. That is translated word. It's the one you find in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12. It's the one you find in Matthew chapter 4 and verse 4 when Jesus said, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. It's the word rhema. If you were to transliterate that word into the English language, it would be H-R-E-M-A, rhema. So Jesus said that man will live by every word of God, and that's dealing with the actual words themselves. He took Old Testament verses. For instance, the Lord Jesus Christ did. In Matthew chapter 4 and Luke chapter 4, you've got the two accounts of the temptation of Jesus Christ. With each temptation, Jesus answered the temptation with the word of God. That quote about man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God, as the other two answers in the temptation, all come from the same book back in the Old Testament. They all come from the law. They all come from the book of Deuteronomy. So here's Jesus in fighting the battle uh, against the devil in the temptation. He is using the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and is using the actual words of God in dealing with this battle. It's absolutely amazing to me the people that do not like to have you quote verses from the book of Deuteronomy to prove doctrine when Jesus used it to defeat the devil. Maybe that's why so many Christians are often defeated because they don't They don't hold in any esteem all the word of God like the Lord Jesus Christ did. Now you say, well, what do you do when you have somebody, you have somebody who tells you they don't believe the Bible, quote the Bible to them. You say, but they don't believe it. No, no, it's the sword. I mean, after all, somebody came after you 
And you know, the only thing you had was a sword. And these people are three foot taller than you, or 250 pounds heavier, more athletic than you. They can take you. They can squish you like a bug. And you pull out your sword and you say, come any closer, I'll stab you. And they laugh and say, I don't even believe that's a sword. I believe that's a fake. You come any closer, you'll find out whether or not it's a a fake or not, uh, you'd stab them with it anyway. You wouldn't sit there and argue about the sword. You wouldn't sit there and try to prove that your sword is good. You'd just simply use it to defend yourself. Well, hey, when it comes to the Word of God, whether they believe it or not, many, many years ago when I was going to Bible college and I was pastoring Pinewood Baptist Church in North Chattanooga, I was uh, visiting on the north side of the Tennessee River there in North Chattanooga, and I, I knocked on the door of a fellow that told me that he was the New Testament Greek professor at UT Chattanooga. Now, in the conversation, he made it very clear to me that he did not believe the Bible. He did not believe the New Testament. He was just simply teaching a class on New Testament Greek. And so when I would uh, start to get into a discussion with him, he said, I just don't believe any of that. I said, well, you know... The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 1.18, the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. Have a good day. And I left. What I do? Stabbed him with the word. Let him think about that. Let him lay down in bed at night and think about that. I mean, after all, the word will do its work. It doesn't necessarily do it right now. But you put that word in their, that seed in their heart and they'll think about it later on and God will use that word to move upon their lives. And there, there are different, different verses that you'll use for different things. One of the things when I was going to Bible college, we took a class on Christian apologetics. Hated the class. Hated the class. Christian apologetics, it, what it does, it teaches you how to give arguments not using the Bible, but to give arguments to prove that what you believe is valid. And for instance, when it comes to the book of Genesis and how everything began with creation and not with evolution, and evolution is false and all that, uh, one of the things that the one book on Christian apologetics said, there are several different arguments that you can use to prove God. One is the te uh, teleological argument. The other is, a, is an anthropological argument. And then a few others where you reason with people about it. Well, that's not how Jesus did it. He just gave the scripture. Just give them the scripture. Scripture will do its work. Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. The word will do its work. It's quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. So if I want to deal with somebody on different subjects, I just simply get into the Word of God and give the book. Now, you take some of our people here that are fishermen. Uh, I'll guarantee you, every real fisherman that we have in this church, you don't use the same lure for every fish you're trying to catch. You've got a lure that you'll use for bass. You've got a lure that you'll use, well, probably just a worm for, uh, uh, for bluegill. Uh, I mean, whatever the fish is, you're going to use a different lure to try to catch him. Well, I'm a golfer, and in my bag, I've got 14 different golf clubs. They're all golf clubs, 
but they all do different things. I don't putt with a driver. That would be dumb to putt with a driver. If you're putting with a driver, you probably broke your putter because you missed your last putt. I mean, really, which would be a dumb thing to do. All the clubs are good for what they were created for to be used. And the word of God, all of it's good. By the way, think with me for a second. If someone's coming after you and you've got a sword, you take that one sword and you swing it. You can do a lot of damage with it. You can probably stick them with it real good or you can, you can cut their arm off or something. Uh, but what if you took 10 swords and you, you, you held all 10 swords together and then you swung those 10 swords? Well, you're not going to cut them. You'll probably knock them out, but you're not going to cut them. Sometimes what happens is you end up throwing so many verses at them that, yeah, okay, it's, you've stunned them a little bit, but it's too much. They can't think on any one verse because you didn't give them a bunch of verses. A good friend of mine by the name of Ron Comfort, when he thought he was going blind, he memorized the entire New Testament, or at least said he did because, and I don't have any reason not to believe that he didn't memorize the whole New Testament. But how he began memorizing uh, the New Testament was he memorized it by subject. So if you wanted to, if he brings up a subject, let's say on creation, he then had a list of verses that he would simply quote down dealing with creation. Now, when I did, my, and I'm not saying he was wrong to do it that way. I mean, everybody's going to do it just a little bit differently. So when I memorized my verses, what I did was I simply memorized verses as I read in the scripture and God would say, hey, do that one. And I'd memorize that one. And that's how I memorized a lot of verses. Uh, But I wanted it to be that way. So when I was dealing with someone, instead of having a pack of verses that I simply quote, I wanted God to bring to my mind the verses he wanted that person to get. And I'd stick him with those verses. Now, I know that sounds good. That doesn't make me smarter than Brother Comfort at all. Uh, it just, that's just the way I did it. It made sense to me, worked for me, and praise the Lord for it. But that's the caliber of the Word of God. You understand, God will use it in every different situation that you're in. I'll give you a for instance in my own life. I, I've gotten to the place in my life where my greatest problems that I deal with spiritually are right up here. You know, you have those thoughts come to you. You say, where is that coming from? Why in the world am I thinking of that? Now, I know sometimes it's because of the things that I saw or places where I was at years and years ago, even before I got saved. So what do you do in this battle for the mind? What I've done is I've just taken scripture. First of all, the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 16, commit thy works unto the Lord and thy thoughts shall be established. So I try to start out the day taking some time to commit what I'm planning on doing that day to the Lord so he can establish my thoughts and will establish my thoughts. I'll also take verses, for instance, in uh, like 2 Corinthians chapter 10, beginning in verse 3, though we walk after the flesh, we do not war after the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations, and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. When I find myself having some thoughts, I think, man, Lord, help me with that. I'll just start quoting that because, you know, you can't think about two things at the same time. While you're quoting those three verses right there, that's all you can think about. 
And then I'll pull out Philippians 4, 8. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of a good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. Well, if you're saying that out loud, that's all you can think about while you're doing it. I use verses to help me in the battle for the mind. And it does help to keep my mind where it needs to be on spiritual things. And you can use the word of God for that yourself. It'll help you. It'll bless you in the battle. Well, then notice the charge to the soldier. Go over to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Notice first of all, beginning at verse 3. 2 Timothy chapter 2. He says, Thou therefore... Endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. And if a man also strive for masteries, yet is he, yet is he not crowned, except he strive lawfully. Now go down to verse 15. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. But shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness. Now he gets over to verse 23, and he says, But foolish and unlearned questions avoid, knowing that they do gender strifes. And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves, if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil, who are taken captive by him at his will. You need to know your weapon right here. You need to know. It's not just the preacher that needs to know it. It's not just the Sunday school teacher that needs to know it. It's not just the deacons that need to know. You need to know the Word of God. Let me tell you, the reason I started memorizing Scripture, this is before God called me to preach, but I hadn't been saved very long. And you remember I was not brought up in a Christian home, so I didn't know much about the Bible. I was ignorant. I'd only been saved for just a little while. We had some people come by and knock on our door. It was the first time I'd had anything to do with these people. And they knocked on my door. And they started telling me about the 144,000 in Revelation chapter 7. Now, I, I opened up my Bible and I looked at Revelation chapter 7. And the Bible's very plain about that. It was 12,000 from each of the tribes of Israel. It wasn't what they said it was. I mean, I just read it, just took it for what God said it. But the problem was, that's all I knew. I didn't know anything else. I didn't know how to answer them. I didn't know how to get into Scripture. And I decided, the next time they came around my neighborhood, I wasn't going to be ignorant. The next time they came around my neighborhood, I was going to have Bible verses to prove them that Jesus is God, that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, the Christ of God, that he died on the cross to pay for our sins and bodily, not just spiritually, bodily rose from the dead. Now, I started memorizing those scriptures. So next time I wanted to come by, I said, okay, 
Let's just get to the scripture. I don't care what your little booklet says there. I do care what the Bible says. And that's what we're going to go by. And I did the same thing, by the way, when the Mormons came around. I didn't know. I didn't even know what they believed. Man, they were so far out in left field. And by the way, they still are. I mean, a lot of strange stuff that they've got in their past. But I decided I not only find out about that, but what's the scripture here that argues against the very things that they hold to. Uh, you know, I think about uh, we've got a lot of engineers in our church. And I often say when I preach around the country, I often say, you know, Huntsville, Alabama is so full of engineers. Let me just ask, how many engineers do we have here? Raise your hand. How many engineers? And uh, we must have run a bunch of them off. There's only a few in the auditorium tonight. Uh, I say, you know, there are so many engineers around uh, Huntsville, Alabama. If you took all the engineers in Huntsville, Alabama and laid them end to end around the equator, it'd be a good thing. And so, <laughs> but, yeah, you notice the, the engineers didn't laugh at that. They didn't think that was funny at all. But, <laughs> but you, you had to study to become an engineer. You had some tough tests to make. You had, I guarantee you, a bunch of tough assignments. And you know, being an, being an engineer, and there are a lot of kinds of engineers. I, when, when I grew up, the only kind of engineers there were drove trains or worked on a train. That's not the case today. Hardly any of them are on, ever even ridden on a train. We can go on that for a long time. But, but the point is, there's, so, there's been so many different kinds of computer language over the years that in order to be a good engineer, you have to keep up with all that stuff. You've got to know your business or you lose your job if you don't stay up to date. Well, let me ask you a question. Should learning the engineering codes, the different engineering uh, computer languages that are out there, is that anywhere close to as important as knowing God's word? I mean, hey, now here I am a pastor. Yeah, why shouldn't I know the word of God? Well, if I'm going to teach others, I ought to spend time in it. And, and don't give me this stuff. Well, preacher, I, 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 you got to understand, I just can't memorize. Now, I'll bet that's not true. You know where you live. And you know how to get here. You have memorized some things, haven't you? You know how to drive your car. Well, some of you do. If you know how to start it, you've memorized a lot of things, and, and that's reality. Now, we don't memorize phone numbers anymore. My generation used to memorize phone numbers. You understand? We, we didn't have just push a button on your phone and it called somebody. Matter of fact, mine doesn't even do that. I just say, call, call Larry Nelson, and it does. I mean, you people got it so easy today. But that was back when we actually used our head about things. What was the point I was making? I don't know. I'll get back to it pretty soon. But learning the Word of God is so absolutely vital. Down in Birmingham, Alabama, there's a church, Glen Iris Baptist Church. A pastor, not, not the present one there now, but a pastor that pastored many, many years ago there, Jack Legrand. In his Christian school, he started a ministry. Now, back then, they would have used the term for the educably slow or retarded was the term that was often used. And he had a number of Down syndrome children in that. Well, I remember going to a preacher's fellowship that was at a camp over somewhere in East Alabama. And, um, and he brought a couple of van loads of those children to that camp. 
They got up to speak, these children, for over a half an hour. Those educably slow, Down syndrome young people quoted the scripture without stopping. I'll guarantee you there's no one that could sit there and look at that and be brazen enough to say, well, I just can't memorize. No, you can. You may have to work at it harder than somebody else, but you can memorize. I've often told our teachers in our school that I know every kid's got a learning disability today. You're not really a bona fide student unless you have a learning disability. That is the excuse that we give for every child who can't get their work done. They've got a learning disability. And I've told our teachers the entire time I've been in education, a learning disability is not a learning inability. A disability simply means that they have to work harder to learn. That's all it means. And there's nothing wrong with that. As a matter of fact, you'll find the children that have to work harder and do work harder to make the grade. In the long run, they're better off because they'll have the discipline and the work ethic to get a job done. A child that gets to float through school without having to study is a child that's going to be behind the eight ball because they think everything ought to come to them easy. They're not willing to work. See, I still believe in hard work. And I believe that's good for you. And I can tell you some really success stories of some of the young people that we have had. But unfortunately, what we do, and, and I'm not against getting a child tested, but I'll tell you what, if I, had a, if, if I had a child of mine tested and found out they had a learning disability, I'd never tell the child. You want to make it even harder on them? You tell them they have a learning disability. Give them an excuse not to learn. And you will do irreparable damage to your child. So what if they have to work harder? That's not bad. That's okay. If the parent has a right attitude about it, it can be great. Now I'm bringing this down to learning the scripture. All right, what if you have to work harder? Maybe, maybe you can't learn 10 verses in a week, but you could learn one a week. You know, if you learn one verse a week by this next year, at the end of 2024, you would know 52 new verses. And after 10 years, you would know 520 new verses in 10 years. That's just one verse a week. And I'll guarantee you, every person here could learn one verse a week. It, mean, it may mean turning off the TV for a half hour every night and going over your verses we memorized a lot of our verses as a family. We memorized those in family devotions. We did it out loud. Simple repetition. Our daughters memorized verses without being able to read or even understanding all the words. We would just say the same verse over and over again with the address of it. We memorized Psalm 23 that way. Psalm 1, Psalm 150, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We memorized uh, the Romans road. For salvation, we did all that. We did all that in family devotions. It just means taking the time to do it. By the way, that's more important than throwing a football. More important than shooting a basketball. Giving them the word of God. This is what they need in life. And it's what we need 
as adults in life as well. And he says, and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. Lord, this is, this is such good stuff. We're in a battle. We have an enemy. You've warned us about that enemy. And Lord, the weapon you've given us for both being on the defensive and on the offensive is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. May we take it seriously. May we apply it in our lives. May we hide it in our our heart. Thy Word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against God. Lord, you said, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto, according to thy word. Lord, help us to take your word seriously. Help us to claim its promises. As you said in Joshua 1.8, This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous. And then thou shalt have good success. Lord, bless us as a people. Now, Lord, we've got, uh, we've got Christmas coming up. Help our people to be faithful, whether they're here or out visiting family in other places and other states. May they be faithful to the house of God on Sunday. Lord, please, may we exalt Christ in all that we do. And we'll thank you and praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.